Okay, so hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fall Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world to share their experiences and knowledge. Our guest today is Vanessa Roth, Roth founder at The Talent Hunter. Vanessa, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Vince. It's great to be here. I'm sorry that it's taken us so long to you know, manage to sort this out. And I know it was my problem, my fault, should I say, but it's a pleasure to be here. Sure, no worries, no worries. Um, okay, Vanessa, so starting with your remarkable journey from, from being a school teacher to a scuba diving instructor and, and then eventually becoming a global talent sourcing trainer, right? So th there seems to be a continuous attempt, you know, to empower and understand people. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit Absolutely. about yourself and tell us how this uh, varied you know, roles shaped your approach to uh, talent acquisition. Okay, okay, absolutely. So you've mentioned a couple of the things that I've done in my life. So what I did when I left school, I actually went to study teaching. I come from a long line of teachers. My mom was a teacher. My grand was a teacher. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I did four years of study. And then I ended up leaving South Africa, where I was born and raised. And I went to live in the UK for six years. And while I was there, I did a lot of teaching. Um, I then decided I was going to go and live in Thailand for a year. And that's where I trained as a scuba diving instructor. You know, training and teaching was, was still in my blood. Um, and then I did that for about two years. It was really great. I had dreadlocks. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Had lots of fun. Um, and then one morning I kind of woke up. I was then working in East Africa or Zanzibar and uh, decided I'm going to go home. And then it was a bit of a problem because I had taught for a couple of years. I had lived in South Africa for a decade. And what was I going to do? So I went for an interview at a recruitment agency where my cousin was working and uh said, you know, what, what can I do? I was quite keen to get into adult education. And they said on the spot, we think you should be a recruiter. And I was like, I know nothing about recruitment. I mean, for, to be honest with you, I had hair that was about this long. I'd cut off my dreadlocks, so my hair was really short. I'd had to borrow clothes to attend a proper interview because all I had was shorts and T-shirts. And um, to cut a long story short, I fell into the recruitment world. Did two years agency, did 10 years internal, and then five years ago decided to open up my own business. So I really don't feel that anything that you do in life is a waste. So all of the jobs that I've done have been very people-focused. So I learned a lot about you know, people and their personalities as a school teacher because you're trying to control 30 people in a classroom or you know, you're teaching someone a scuba dive, you've got to look at them and see, are they going to panic at 30 meters below the sea? And, you know, they can't talk to you. You can only see their eyes. So I kind of was, everything that I've done has led me to where I am now. And that's great. And that's why I think, you know, anything that you study or learn is, ne is never a waste. It's, it's something that you take with you into your next step in your career. 100%. Uh, I totally agree with that. And currently you're, you're founder um, uh, of the Talent Hunter, right? So and yes. your, your company is recognized for, I guess, expanding the scope and utilizing uh, the entire internet for talent sourcing, right? So mm -hmm. could, could you mm -hmm. tell us a bit more about uh, your strategies and how, how, you, how do you, you know, push recruiters beyond standard platforms like LinkedIn to more untraditional, I guess, sourcing methods. 
So, so what I realized when I made the shift from agency recruitment to internal in-house recruitment, and I only did that because I was headhunted, I was actually enjoying the agency side, was that you have to make the placements when you're internally. I mean, if you don't make the placements, you're watching projects fall over, you've got a hiring manager who's having a heart attack because he hasn't got the people to deliver on his projects, and it has a massive impact. So you've got to start thinking out of the box. And I mean, and I would work for 10 years at an IT company, and I quickly had to figure out that I'm not going to find IT professionals sitting on job boards. I'm not going to find them sitting on LinkedIn. I've got to be smart about where I go and look for this talent. So literally, I taught myself how to be a sourcer using YouTube. So I'm a massive fan of YouTube. Um, there was no one to learn from in South Africa. I, I followed all of the international conferences like SourceCon and Sourcing Summits. Um, and that's how I learned. And um for me, it was out of necessity. I had to. If, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have stayed in the job for 10 years because I wasn't delivering. And that's what I try and get people to understand is that it seems that a lot of people who are in the recruiting space at the moment are, you know, they, they call themselves that they're sourcing for talent. But when you're just looking on job boards and, you know, sitting with a cushy LinkedIn recruiter license, it's not really talent sourcing the way that I see it, the, the way that I believe it. So it's about you know, why do we always default to LinkedIn with their, you know, however many people they have, they, they try to push for a billion, you know, nearly there, but you've got three three billion people sitting on Facebook, but no one goes and sources on Facebook because they think that means you're going to have to add people to your personal profile, but it, it doesn't mean that at all. It means you can find them, you can find their contact details and you can send them an email. So it's just a, a, a different way of thinking as opposed to, you know, where a lot of recruiters either think that they can't do it or they don't know how or they're scared to do it. But literally, when you've got the whole internet at your fingertips, the world's your oyster. You can find talent anywhere. And speaking from, from, from the practical point of view, can you maybe share some, some new techniques or tools that you have recently adopted in terms of okay. talent sources? So, so this... Okay, absolutely. So there are lots of tools out there out of, out of the US. I mean, some of the top sourcing tools, just to name a few, you've got um, Hire Easy, you've got Seekart, you've got RecruitBot, you've got Amazing Hiring, and they're all great for looking for talent. They really are. The problem is, is that when you've got a startup where there's not a lot of cash flow, those tools are can be quite expensive. Or, you know, you're working with teams in, in Africa or third world countries, you know, those, those tools can be expensive. So mine is... And I advocate for those tools, but also it's about going back to basics. So it's how do you write a Boolean search string? How do you literally take a role description? What do you say in your conversation with the hiring manager to start, you know, separating the must-haves versus the nice-haves, you know, and then taking those must-haves, putting them into Boolean logic, and then using what's a technique called an X-ray search and X-raying into different platforms because it's completely for free because you don't pay to go to Google something and you're using Google or you're using Bing or, you know, something along those lines. So it's about getting back to the basics and finding people that no one else is finding. I mean, one of my top tips is always go and have a look at communities and conferences. So conferences, the people who speak at conferences are the top of their game. They're going to have followers, you know, they're probably running a community on Meetup, um, they influencers, get them into your network, you know, start chatting with them start seeing who they can recommend and, and that, that's where a lot of people don't seem to think that they can do that and they just sit behind their laptops all day you know 
plugging away on LinkedIn where there's people want to, especially since COVID, people want to have conversations with other human beings. So the time is right now to really make your mark on a community. And was was this growing role of uh, AI right in various sectors, including like uh, recruitment, right? So how is the talent hunt integrating AI into its talent sourcing strategies? Do you use it's AI? Yeah, I, I do. I actually was just thinking about it. I, I, about an hour before our call, I've got a CV from an uncle of mine who wants me to update his LinkedIn profile. So what I did was I just copied all of the content from his CV. I put it into ChatGPT and I said, write down, to give me 10 bullet points of the services. Because, I mean, my uncle's an engineer. Give me 10 bullet points of what services this man could offer if a recruiter is looking for his services and it came up with them like that and I was like well that's more than I know about the civil and structural engineering space so yes I do use it I use it personally I use it for work um so for me yeah it's 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 it's, it's amazing I love AI I mean how it affected me was I spent the first part of last year working on my online academy so I built an online academy with talent sources six different courses but while I was doing that that was January February March AI was on everyone's radar it was growing everyone was talking about it um, all the recruiters were petrified that their jobs were going to be replaced by AI and I actually jumped on the bandwagon I spent a couple of days just upskilling on AI chat GPT what it can do how we can use it as recruiters and I launched training about it so uh, I launched a two-hour workshop that I delivered short sure, by the end of last year, I think over 60 times. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I, I launched a workshop that I delivered over 60 times. And um, just two hours, solid, practical. This is how you use AI if you're in the recruitment space. It's nothing to be scared about. It's incredibly helpful. Use it to take away all of your admin, but all the time that you are saving, uh, you know, use that to be more of a human being. Get in front of people, start talking to them, pick up the phone. So yeah, it was a it, it was very interesting last year. I look forward to seeing what's going to happen in the AI space in 2024. I think it's going to be really interesting, but I'm going to continue using it as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, we we're currently uh, trying to implement AI technology in all aspects of you know in all like approaches uh, inside Globy, uh, my company basically. Um, yes. And what I what I found. For what I found out that uh, it is still important that uh, there should be kind of human touch, especially when we're talking about recruitment, right? So, and I'm I'm just curious to hear your opinion, considering this the, the this potential that this technology has. Where do you see the balance between technology and the human element in future talent acquisition? So I think, like anything, you know, something new pops up on the block, new shiny object, and people get stuck in and start using it, but they actually use it badly. I mean, I'm sure you have been on the receiving end of an email that has been put together. You can tell it's been written by ChatGPT. It's very verbose. Uh, you know, it just takes forever to get to the point. Uh, we all know about AI checking tools now. We're all quite happy to copy and paste emails and test them out. Uh, so there's using the tool and there's using the tool well. And I think that the recruiters who get better at writing the prompts, um, you know, giving more information. I mean, a lot of people think ChatGPT is going to make everything faster so that everything's a rush. You know, there's not a lot of thought put into the prompting. 
Um, but if you give it a bit of thought and you set your parameters like you can on ChatGPT4 now and, you know, it's feed it some information, tell it about your profile. You know, I've fed into mine. I'm a talent sourcing trainer. I talk a lot about recruitment and talent sourcing and talent attraction and employer branding. And now all of the answers are geared towards that. So it's almost learning which kind of angle I'm taking. So it will never fully replace us, but it will take away a lot of the, the those menial tasks that we can waste hours on. And, and that for me is brilliant because I've got more time to speak to people like you and to record podcasts because I'm not sitting here looking at my uncle's engineering CV trying to figure out what exactly mm -hmm. does this guy mm -hmm. do, you know? Yeah, yeah. totally agree. Um, diversity, diversity in recruitment. Uh, in one of your, I guess, interviews or posts, it was where you have highlighted that diversity sourcing is more than just a basic approach, right? So mm -hmm. based on your experience, how do you effectively incorporate diversity sourcing into uh, recruitment strategies, particularly in line with client-specific needs? Can you talk more about this? So diversity, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting topic. Um, I actually run diversity sourcing workshops with uh, Balish Paroxsa. He's he's a Hungarian gentleman living in um, Florence at the moment. Really good guy. And we decided during COVID that we were going to kind of tackle this because no one was doing, you know, talent sourcing training in the diversity perspective with the right kind of approach. So we looked at it and you know, my feelings around it is that you've got to do it for the right reasons. And, and and that comes very much from our South African upbringing where, you know, I grew up in apartheid South Africa. And, you know, we now live in a situation um, in South Africa where we get told by the hiring manager, we'll sit in front of them and they'll say things like, Vanessa, I need a C-sharp developer, um, needs to be a female, needs to be uh, black. And then we like, okay, and that's pretty normal. But you talk about that outside of a South African context and people in the UK and the US like fall off their chairs because then it's not fair, but it's it's what we used to. So, you know, we are trying to right the wrongs of the past, but when people in the US talk about diversity, it's because it isn't a law. It's, it's It hasn't been worked into the constitution yet, um, but it's, I would like to see, uh, you know, more of what they're doing at the moment, which is like they want to get their diversity right because they know and can see the benefits of what it brings to the table for an organization. So we all know that companies that have diverse workforces uh, are more profitable, you know, better company culture, people are happier to work there. And that's why, you know, that's how it should be. Um, so for me, it's not about just taking – 10 females' names that, you know, are in line with people from the Ukraine, females in the Ukraine. It's about looking at how can you help as an organization. So for a USA, our DE and our focus is maybe females um, in the tech space in Eastern Europe. Then what you do is go and find those communities that are assisting females in Eastern Europe to up their tech skills and see how you can get involved. Can your company and, you know, offer any additional training? Can you give sponsorship? Um, it's not just about taking people because you need them and you're plugging a hole. It's, let's, let's understand the community. Let's give back. And then, um, you know, it's, it's just more of a softer, more human-like approach, which I think a lot of companies go wrong because they just do these hard searches. They don't even get to know the people and they kind of put the people in front of the hiring manager without really thinking too much about the why that they have done what they've done. 
Yeah, that's this this true. Um, okay, uh, sp speaking about employer branding and personal branding, I know that you work in this aspect as well. So, um, so you emphasized the the need for companies to distinguish themselves from from employer branding point of view, right? So, from your point of view, what key aspects do you often find missing? in their employer branding efforts? Okay, very interesting. So for me, employer branding is, is going to be everything. So my prediction for the next three years is that employer branding is hugely important. I know that you work in the startup space. And what a lot of people in the startup space always say, how do we manage to hire top tech professionals? Because we're not Amazon, we're not Meta. You know, how do we do it? But if your brand is you're putting out the message there that you're there to make a difference. I think a lot of people these days don't want to just go to work for an Amazon and make them more money. They want to work for an organization that's got their values right and they want to have an impact on the world. So it's about how you position your company. Also, listening to what your employers want. And I mean, we all know that there's this thing in the tech space that it's perceived that technical individuals all want to work at home. They don't want to go into the office. But there are situations where people do want to go into an office. So are you listening to each individual case? Are you providing people with a good experience so that they want to stay and work with you? So employer branding is, is a lot more than just, you know, you know your company because it's a brand household name. It's how do you position yourself to attract the right individuals that you want to work with? You know, for, for, for me personally, uh, personal brand, employer branding is about storytelling, you know, like, uh, um, not sure if you agree with this, but if you do, could you could you share some storytelling techniques that have been successful in attracting top talent? So I can share from a personal perspective. Um, and I think storytelling is very powerful. You just need to look at individuals' posts on platforms and you can see which ones perform well. And it's the ones where the people are telling a story. It's not just sharing an article or, you know, posting a poll. It's this is a story. This is what happened to me. This is this is how I dealt with it. This is what you could learn from a type of, of post. And it's exactly the same for companies. But if you've got a good story, then you've got to get people to buy into your story. So you know, the reason that we started the startup is we noticed there was a big gap between, you know, people who were um, working, uh, who were working remotely, but they were really good developers and they wanted to work for companies in the US because that's what they aspire to do and they get good salaries. And we know these people are really good, but no one's putting them in front of these companies in the US. So we're going to start a company that does that. And that is your story from what I understand, which is that, you can take that story and it's a good one because no one else can turn around and say, no, that's not what you did or disagree with you. You know, a story is very personal. It's why you started your very successful business. And that's why storytelling is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, while helping uh, my clients find like a talent in like in more than 20 countries across three continents, you know, we, we always consider local specifics when hiring in a specific country, in a specific region, which which basically helps us to deliver really great results mm -hmm. in the end. So uh, reflecting on your diverse global 
engagements in different you know global conferences uh, that you participated in so what what cultural or regional differences in sourcing methods uh, have you noticed if any so what i'm actually going to do is i'm going to recommend a book for your listeners so and as you say like every culture is different um I was on a call yesterday to a South African living in Germany saying she's battling with the cultural difference of a recruiting perspective. Um, you know, and it, and it does differ. You know, the Dutch people are very direct. So if you don't know that, you could be offended very easily. Um, but one of the books that I read, you know, through my career recently was a, a book called The Culture Map by um, a lady called Erin Mayer. And it's a really good book and kind of puts into a lot of perspective of you know, the different cultures and things that could be perceived to be really rude are actually just normal in people's cultures. Like to give you an example here in Africa is that it's, it's actually rude to make eye contact with people in certain cultural groups, where in other cultural groups, it's if you don't make eye contact, you're being rude. So there's a massive situation here where you get, you know, a young gentleman coming into a boardroom for an interview and he shakes people's hands, but he looks at the floor. But that's massive respect for the people that who are about to interview him. However, the people who are conducting the interview are like, why won't this guy look me in the eye? What's he trying to hide? Why is he being dodgy? And I think that these are the things that we we need to understand. And for, for me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. I come from a, a country where there's 11 official languages because we've got so many different cultural groups. But um, a lot of people don't take this into consideration enough. Okay, so and looking looking uh, to the future, probably my, my last question: How do you think recruitment and talent finding will change in the next maybe five years? Sure, that's a very good question. So I think that AI is going to take over to a certain degree. It is going to take away a lot of the admin, but what it's going to do is it's going to up the spamming. So you know, there's going to be a lot of messages that are automated by AI and. I think candidates are going to be more and more difficult to hook because their inboxes are going to be full. They're not, they're going to get to the point where they're not even bothering to read emails. I mean, I think we're there with a lot of people already. Um, so it's going to be more and more difficult to get candidates' attention, which leads me to think that the recruiters actually need to work harder on their brand. And we come back to brand. You know, we, you, uh, you and I wouldn't be talking if it hadn't have come down to my personal brand. And, you know, that's really important. So recruiters have to stop using LinkedIn as, you know, just a platform where they think they're going to go and hire a whole lot of candidates, but use it to start building a brand so that when people go and cross-reference you, even if it's after sending an email and they look at your profile on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or anything else for that matter, you're a real person. You know, you show that you have the skills that um, are necessary to assist this person and you're trustworthy. Because that's what people are looking for. You know, finding a new job is hard work. It's a massive decision. And candidates out there don't want to deal with recruiters that look a little bit, you know, a little bit Mickey Mouse. So it's going to be up to the recruiters to really work a bit harder on being human beings. And how do they portray that? Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa, Excellent. very much for sharing your insights. It was incredible. Perfect. We wish you and the talent hunter all the best in your journey. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Fritz. Appreciate it. Good to chat.